Hello, church. I want to encourage you from the word of God today to be immovable, to be immovable in your faith. They say that most of the things we worry about and fear do not come true. However, there are some things that are very real, and they do happen to us, don't they? So today I want to talk to you not about the things that we fear and worry if they're going to come true, but talk about the realities. What happens when those real-life things in life occur? You have an enemy, and the enemy has a purpose. The devil wants to use the realities of life to destroy, to move you away from your faith in God. He wants to use the addictions, the abuse, the assault, the accidents, the loss, the injuries, the sufferings, and the temptations, whatever they are. His purpose is to use them. He wants to get you so stressed out, so worried, so impatient, so frustrated, so discouraged that you'll walk away from your faith, that you will not be, that you'll become, that you'll be moved in your faith away from God. God does not immune you from those realities of life, does he? However, God does promise that if he doesn't take us from them, that he will be with us through them all to give us the strength and the courage and the joy, yes, even the joy, to have that immovable faith. You know, the Apostle Paul was well acquainted with all and many of those troubles of life, wasn't he? Including persecution, and yes, he dies a death in the name of the Lord, doesn't he? He dies a martyr's death. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, he says, I want you to be steadfast and immovable. I want you to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is a theme and a topic that he talks about throughout many of his letters. Now, I want you to remember that most of his letters were written when he was where? In prison, when he was going through persecution. But he says, I want you to be steadfast, immovable. That means I want you to be consistent. I want you to be dependable. I want you to be persistent. I want you to be resilient. And I don't want you to easily be moved from your faith. I don't know about you, but maybe your faith is sometimes like a roller coaster. Have you ever felt that way? A roller coaster faith, some days you're up, some days you're down. Having that roller coaster type faith. So in other words, it's based upon your circumstance. If things are going really well, your faith's really up there. If things start kind of going pretty bad, you're down there, aren't you? And you just realize when you stop to think about it that that's really not depending upon your faith, but you're depending upon your circumstances. And that creates that roller coaster type effect. What Paul says, I want you to learn how to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen? That's what he's calling us to be, immovable in our faith. And that's what I want to encourage you today to be part of. Now, it's a struggle. Paul wrote to his um, young preacher named Timothy. And Paul was a mentor to Timothy. And in, and in Timothy, he writes the following to Timothy. He says, you know what? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. So there's a crown of righteousness waiting for me when I get there but it's also waiting for everyone else who will do the very same thing. Aren't those encouraging words? What Paul is saying is, look, I have faith in God. My faith is immovable in God. I will live here on earth for Christ, and it's a win. If I die for Christ, it's a win. Because I'll praise God here, I'll praise God there. And that's exactly the attitude we should have, right? That attitude to be immovable in our faith towards him. 
Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, you know, that's Paul. I mean, Paul, he, he was special calling from God. He was an extraordinary person. You know, you don't find in the Bible where it says that Paul was Superman, do you? You don't find the Bible where it says that Paul was a super apostle. In fact, Paul is very humble, isn't he? He's very willing to share the weaknesses that he has, and he shares the lessons that he learns from those weaknesses and saying, this is how God used my weakness. This is how God taught me to grow. This is how I became immovable in my faith, and you can do the very same things. And that's what he's encouraging us to do. There's seven words in James that are so encouraging to me. In James, there are seven words. Elijah was a human being like me. You say, why is that encouraging to me? Because it's talking about Elijah and his power of prayer, isn't it? It's talking about the righteousness of Elijah. Elijah was not a superman. Elijah was not just an extraordinary person. Elijah was a human being like me. You know what that means? If Elijah could have an immovable faith, if Paul had an immovable faith, I can have an immovable faith. Amen? And this is exactly what it's telling us here, that I need to understand that God could have used angels to do everything he wanted to do. But we would have said, oh, yeah, that's angels. Angels can do that. But God chooses so often to do his will here on earth through you and through me. You know why? So he's saying, hey, look, if God can work in that person's life, God can work in my life. If God can give that person an immovable faith, I think God can develop in me what? An immovable faith. Isn't that encouraging? You're like Elijah. You're like Paul. And so you have this desire that God wants us to have on display is this faith that is immovable. It's Jeremiah's story, isn't it? Jeremiah was one who did not want to do God's will. I know there's some 50-odd chap chapters in Jeremiah. There's a lot of prophecy in there. But sometimes just read the biographical life of Jeremiah in just Jeremiah. Just read through it. He did not want this. God called him at an early age. And Jeremiah gave every excuse, every reason why he couldn't do that. But God persisted. And Elijah stayed, and Jeremiah stayed with him. And Jeremiah grew, and he grew, and he grew. And he learned the lessons that God wanted him to learn in adversity. And he grew in strength. He became immovable in his faith no matter what happened to him as God taught him those lessons. And in the 31st chapter, God told Jeremiah, I will put my teachings in their mind, and I will put and I will write them on their hearts. Now, when I used to look at that, I thought, well, that's good. Good Bible study. Bible study is good. Sermons are great to learn, right? Uh, individual Bible study, that's how God puts it in the mind. But when you, and that's how he writes on your heart. But when you read Jeremiah, it's not about Bible study. It's not about listening to a sermon. It's not about individual Bible study or group Bible study or small groups. You know what it's about? God teaches us through adversity. God teaches us through the real things of life. And what God says is in those moments, I'm going to teach it and put it in your mind, and I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to stabilize your mind. I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be there in terms of what you need to have the strength to have an immovable faith, to be steadfast, to be immovable. You know, it's interesting to me how many Christians wake up on Sunday morning and they're not sure if they're coming to worship or not. How do I know that? 278, 170, 450 the next Sunday. 
There's many Christians who don't even know whether they're going to worship God on Sunday morning. There are many Christians who always have some sort of reason why they can't study their Bible. Many Christians who make all sorts of excuses why they don't have time to pray. Many Christians discover so many reasons why they can't serve God the way God has called them to, called them to serve. We come up with all sorts of ways to be uh, that idea away from God. And the result is, you don't even know it, but slowly and surely you're moving away from your faith. You're not being steadfast. You're not being immovable. You want a steadfast, immovable faith? You've got to be steadfast in worship. You've got to be steadfast in the word of God. You've got to be steadfast in prayer. You have to be steadfast in serving God. You have to be steadfast in your character, whether you're at work, at school, that you're not compromising, but rather you're being obedient to God. Amen? That's what it means to be immovable, and this is what God has called us to do and to look for because he tells every one of us we have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. Now, your story to tell others is not complaining about your life or all the bad breaks you're having and all the bad things that are happening to you or complaining about all the things that's going wrong in your life. Your story to tell is, how, is not relating all the bad things that are happening to you and boring people with that, but conveying to others how God is teaching you lessons to grow. This is your story. This is your song, praising God all the day long. And this is what God has called us to do, to have that immovable faith. Well, how, how do you have that faith? Well, there are people who are going to ask you a reason for your hope. Why do you hope the way you do? Why are you living the way that you do? Too often people say, well, I, I'm somehow getting through this. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, it's just somehow, somehow I'm getting through it. Somehow I got it done. Somehow I got some help along the way. Somehow I got my ducks in a row. Somehow I got through this. That's not your story. It's not somehow. It's someone. God is the one who gets you through those things. God is the one who sees things done. God is your helper, your provider. That's the story we're supposed to be telling, not all some way, somehow, and complain about our life. You're to have an immovable faith, and when you relate your story to others to tell the hope that you have, you're saying, this is how God is getting me through these things, and I'm going to stick with God through that. In Psalm 41, it said, by this I know God is on my side. By this I know that God is on my side. How do I know that God is on my side? By this I know God is on my side. He made a way when there seemed to be no way. He provided when, he, when I absolutely thought there was no shot of ever having this done. He protects me. He comforts me. He is with me through thick or thin. He is the one who's given me the strength that I needed. He's the one who led me out of all these uncharted waters of life and all those events. That God was with me through thick. By this is my story. This is my song. I praise my Savior all day long because he has provided in me an immovable faith. Amen? And that's what he's called every one of us to give because it tells us in the Bible that we all have a story. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said the following. He says, you are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by all. Did you know you had a letter? Not just a letter, your story. But where is your story written? See it? Where is your story written? On the hearts of others. God uses your life in such a powerful way 
that he inspires and encourages others by your faith in God, by the hope that you called, that you had for the reason for your hope, and saying, by this I know, this is how God worked in my life and how God is working in my life. It gave me an immovable faith, and people hear that. It's written on their hearts. It inspires and encourages them to do the very same thing. Amen? What? Are you all there? Okay. It's tough stuff. It's good stuff. So I'm in college in 1972, a freshman at David Lipscomb College. My roommate was a veteran of the Navy, been out of school for several years, came back to school. And we lived on the first floor basement, right across from the laundry room, where there's always noise constantly, always traffic. But also, my roommate liked to stay out to 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. You're supposed to sign in at 10 o'clock every night. So our window to our dorm room was always open. He wasn't the only one to use it all through the night. <laughs> Seriously. There'd be people coming in our room right through so they wouldn't have to sign in. I would wake up with shaving cream on my face. I would wake up with all, all my stuff stacked to the ceiling, and I just knew how much I was loved by people as they went through. And I don't know how I was able to sleep through it, but I did. But I just wondered, why, what does he have to do? I'm such a naive little freshman. What's he doing to 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning all the time? Well, our lives moved on. It's 1980. I've been ministering now for about four years. And I just realized that in my life, I really needed a stronger prayer life. My life needed stronger prayer. And so I'm praying, and I'm asking people, what does the Bible mean, prayer, fasting, and meditation? What does prayer and meditation mean? Well, meditation means you're just concentrating, Martha. No, that's not what it means. It's not, I'm not getting the answer. So, God, I'm asking you, what, what is the difference between prayer and meditation? Teach me this. This is before the Internet, before all sorts of things. God, I'm asking you for that wisdom. I'm needing people to come to my life about that and studying about it. And one day I'm praying about that. This is 1980. And I hear this noise outside of my office, which was out in the middle of nowhere in a country church back then, Burnett Chapel Church of Christ. No one ever came visit during the day. But here comes this old noise. The muffler's obviously off the car. And there's this loud sound. And when the car shuts off, there's this backfire. It's an old Volkswagen Beetle, right? Very old thing. And this guy gets out of the car. There's a lot of stuff in his hands. And I look at him, and it's Bill, my roommate, that I would not seen since my freshman year at Lipscomb. He had left after the first semester, never heard from him again. Bill walks in, Bill, good to see you. Don't have time for that. I just need to ask you something. I said, okay. He said, let me tell you my story. I'm embarrassed to tell you this story, but you may not have realized that when I was at Lipscomb, I was going one, two, three o'clock in the morning. I was drinking and visiting all the prostitutes downtown that I could. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. But my life for years afterwards was spent visiting prostitutes and being in a sinful life so far removed from God. I'm so embarrassed to tell you. I don't even want to be here telling you this. And I'm thinking, well, why are you telling me now? But I knew there was something coming out of this. And Bill said about a year or so ago, late at night, I'm driving around after visiting one of the prostitutes, and this guy in Cincinnati on the radio, a preacher, starts preaching. And it was like he was preaching just to me. And it convicted me. My heart convicted. I had, I, I went, I repented, realized I was wrong, repented of my sins, turned my life to the Lord, studied faithfully, and now I've reached the point where I believe that God is telling me I need to go to Cincinnati and move there and be part of that congregation to continue to grow. 
He says, but I'm not sure. He says, I packed everything up. And on the way of packing everything up here, God spoke to me some way. It wasn't a voice, but some sort of prompting that you need to go see David Clayton. Why do I need to see David Clayton some eight years later? You need to go see David Clayton before you go to Cincinnati. And you need to give him this. And Bill says, I want to give you what God told me. And it was hundreds of pages on prayer and meditation. I had just prayed that prayer, had not seen Bill for eight years, and he has everything I needed to know at that point to move in prayer and meditation. I literally sat down in my chair. Absolutely. Bill says, now, if this is not what God's called, then it's going to confirm I'm not supposed to go to Cincinnati. But if this is what I'm thinking it is, God's telling me to go to Cincinnati. I said, it is what you think it is. It confirmed for me that God was listening to my prayer for wisdom. And he wrote Bill's story on my heart that I've shared with hundreds, if not thousands, of people over the years. And I wrote on Bill's heart the confirmation that God was answering his prayer, go to Cincinnati. Go to Cincinnati. I know it's a crazy story. I know it doesn't make sense for you, some theological. I don't know where to put it. I just know, by this I know, God is on my side. By this, I know that God writes those stories on our heart. And it's always a reminder to me that we're not always the star of our own story. Not everything happens for a reason. Not everything that happens in your life is about you. Sometimes the things that happen in our life is to put us in a position where we can be a benefit to other people. I think of the story of Joseph. Man, you look at the life of Joseph. And here's Joseph at the next slide. You see Joseph is a person who was betrayed by his brothers. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He was forgotten in prison after doing a kindly thing, and yet he continues in his faith to be strong before God. He's immovable, and God continues to promote him and promote him and promote him. And finally, he's on the right side of Pharaoh, influencing so many people in the kingdom of Egypt and all around. And it's a time of a famine, and now those brothers who had sold him into slavery out of jealousy find themselves in front of this ruler who they do not know is his own brother. Oh, Joseph could have showed vengeance, couldn't he? Joseph could have taken out him big time, hard labor, rest of your life, could have killed him, could have done anything he wanted to do. But you know what Joseph did? He looked at them, he said, you know what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good to save many people. What you meant for evil, God used it for good to save many people. See, don't grow sour in life. Don't grow bitter about life. Don't complain about your life. Don't worry about your life. God's, God has you. You're in his hands. And even the things sometimes that are meant for evil, God is going to use that to bring about what is good. God loves you. His will and work is greater than your own self. Like in the life of Joseph, your life as well. Don't let the way others treat you affect your faith. Don't let others discourage you if they're jealous of you or envious of you or trying to do harm to you or rude to you or ignore you or abuse you. Don't let them rob you of your faith in God. Jesus says if you will treat others the way you want to be treated, that your faith will grow. That your faith will grow. That you'll have that immovable faith. Be steady in your worship. Be steady in the word of God. Be steady in prayer. Be steady in serving others. God will get you through these and create a great faith in you because Paul tells us in Romans 8, if God is for you, who can be against you? Well, we already know who's against us, right? The devil. But compared to God, the devil has no power. 
If God is for you, who can be against you? Stay in God's word. And we have to immerse ourselves in prayer, don't we? One of the portions of the disciples' prayer that Jesus gives is he tells us to pray the following. Your will be done. How? On earth as it is in heaven. There is tremendous power in prayer. God, I want your will to be done here in my life as you want it to be done in heaven. How many times, oh, nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. I'm not getting anything out of this. Lord's not doing anything. No, you keep praying. You keep praying. You don't give up. You give up. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to turn. You keep, God, I want your will to be done on earth just like you want it to be done in heaven. If you ever the story of the guy who went to heaven, it's a fable. He gets to his mansion up there, and there's this huge room with all these great things. It says, this is your life. He's looking through and says to the angel, you know what? None of those things happened in my life. Oh, but it could have. It could have if you had just exercised faith. This is what could have been. Don't miss the opportunities that God has before you. Don't miss the fact that when you're immovable in your faith, that God has designed so many beautiful things to happen. And he says here, listen, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let your will be done over my family. Let your will be done over my friends. Let your will be done over this congregation. Let your will be done over my career, my job, my finances. Lord, let your will be done. And don't move me away from that no matter the circumstances. I love this next picture. This next picture shows you a picture of the ocean. And the top of the surface is full of waves. But some 20 to 30 feet below is this calmness in the depth. The water on the surface is waves. How many of you have gone in the ocean several days in a row to the beach? One day it may be just like mirror clear, right? Some days small waves, next day huge waves, depending on the weather, the tides. The waves on the surface are always changing, aren't they? Sometimes very uh, turmoil, sometimes very calm, but the waves hit. But if you go out further enough in the ocean, some 20, 30 foot down, there's calmness. There's a calmness that is there. The Bible uses the illustration of waves and water to go to the deeper waters to remind us of life's struggles and how faith can bring that calming effect when we go to the deeper waters. Do you want a deeper relationship with God? Do you want a deeper faith with God? Do you long to have a closer, drawing near relationship with God? Are you tired of a surface-type faith where the winds and the waves toss you back and forth? And you're tossed back and forth by the surface faith that you have, the wave of doubt, the wave of fear, the wave of worry, the wave of anxiety, the, way of, uh, the waves of uncertainty, the waves of restlessness. What is it? that's tossing you back and forth. If you'll just go deeper in faith, you'll get to the common area of where God is. God calls us to that deeper, more intimate faith with him. And so that the waves are still there. The waves are still there, but we've gone deeper in our faith and we're experiencing the calm of God. Isn't that what James talks about? James says, look, don't be tossed by the waves of doubt. When you're tossed by the waves of doubt, go deeper. Ask God, he'll give to you the things that you need. Don't stay on the surface where the doubt is. Go deeper. Ask God. God probably won't tell you why he let this happen to you. But when you ask God, he'll tell you how 
he's going to deal with it. He'll tell you the lessons that you need to learn from it, and he'll show you how it's going to be a benefit to you and others. And certainly, when you ask God, he's going to give you the strength and the wisdom you need to go through that. To not be on the surface, are you with me? But go to the depths. Paul talks to the Ephesians and says, look, some of you are being tossed by the waves of immaturity. You're not growing. You're not studying. You're not developing this deep relationship with God. You need to do this. Don't stay in the waves of being tossed to and fro. Go deeper in your faith. Let the Holy Spirit equip you and train you for righteousness. Understand that Christ is the head of your life. You can have this faith. You can do this if you'll be steadfast in the word and steadfast in prayer and steadfast in service and steadfast in what God has called you to do. You can be immovable. Don't have a surface like faith, but put your hope and faith in God. In September, I was talking to a young couple. This young couple was going through so many waves of their life at that point, being tossed to and fro, not sure what the right decision is. But you know what? Through all the midst of that, they stayed faithful to the Lord. They were steadfast. They were immovable. Talked to them a few months later, or just a couple weeks ago. How are things going? We have a peace about this. The waves are still going, but they went to the deeper water. We have a peace about this. We can't explain it. We don't understand it. Logically, it doesn't make sense. But we have a peace about this, and we believe that God is in control. And we're trusting God through that. Over 15 years ago, when my wife Sharon was told by the doctors, in two or three years, it's going to return, and you don't have much of a chance of living beyond five. Told her that time after time after time. You know what Sharon did in the chemo room? She took her tapes of God's songs about God. She read her Bible. She shared her story with others. And all through that time, remember, I have a peace about this. I have a peace about this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I have a peace about this. And 15 years later, as she still shares that story, she will tell you that when she looks back on the time, it was a moment in her life of great peace and great learning, great opportunity to learn through it. And she did. I saw her go through that. I'm almost ashamed to talk about it. It sounds like I'm embarrassed, uh, almost bragging. I'm not. I learned so much from her. In terms of what it means that I don't have to live on the surface, but I can experience a deeper faith in God, and it makes a great difference. It's fascinating to me how long it takes us to get over a hurt, how long it takes for us to get over a slight, how long we will talk about over and over and over again all of our problems and all of our troubles, how long it takes us to forgive and show mercy towards others, and yet how quickly we forget the goodness of God. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. By this I know what God has done, and yet so quickly I forget his goodness and his miracles. In Psalm 78, it's talking about the children of Israel, isn't it? And there in Psalm 78, it talks about the children of Israel. And you know what it says about them? They forgot all God had done, even his mighty miracles. How could you forget that? Rescued out of slavery, crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, manna from heaven every day, right? Water from a rock, miracle after miracle after miracle, brought into the promised land like he told them he would do. They send out the spies, 10 come back, say it's everything God said it's going to be, but we can't do it. They get mad at Joshua and Caleb, says, yes, we can have faith in God. They want to stone Moses for bringing them this far. They had forgotten the goodness of God, just like you. Just like how quickly we'll forget. We need to remember constantly what God has done for us. Amen? That should be our story. I have an immovable faith because I know 
I know what God has done for me in the past, and I know what he's doing for me now, and I know and I believe what he'll do for me in the future. Isn't that what communion's all about? A very important part of communion is this. Jesus told us to eat this and do this what? In remembrance of him. In remembrance. Remember what? He died for my sins. Remember what? That through him I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength to do the will of God. What else do I remember about that? That he will refresh me, renew me, revive me, restore me. So I go before the communion, sometimes weak in my faith. And yet I remove, after the, after the communion, come out strong and immovable. I remember what the Lord has done for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for reviving and refreshing myself. I'm leaving here today with a renewed determination to have a faith that will not be moved from God. And that's what he does for us. It's so, so beautiful. I think of the story of Daniel as a teenager. He is taken from his homeland, never to return again, hundreds of miles to this foreign place to spend the rest of his life there. He goes there, and from a teenager all the way through his youth, <clears throat> he serves God. He keeps his faith in God. He trusts in God. And God uses him in very powerful ways. He serves several different kings. Finally, when the Babylonians are taken over by the Mede-Persians, the Persian king Darius is now the ruler. And Darius is so much uh, influenced by this 80-year-old man Daniel at the time, 80 years old. He says, Daniel, I want to put you in a power, powerful position that you can help me and the people of my, of my kingdom. The people around him were jealous. The people around him were envious. The people around him tried to hurt him, tried to harm him. So they appealed to Darius's pride, remember? Hey, Darius, we want to pass an edict. Over the next 30 days, everyone's to just pray in your name and no, no other name. And that's all they're supposed to do. If they don't do that, you're to throw them in the lion's den. What do you think? There's a good idea. Like that. Like that. You know what it says? When Daniel heard that edict, when Daniel heard what was to take place, he went to his room to an open window. And he prayed to God three times that day, just like he prayed every day before. He could have shut the curtains. He could have prayed behind in a closet. He could say, well, I'm just going to skip this for 30 days and pick it up later. Well, Daniel says, no. I pray to God in the good times. I'll pray to God in the bad times. I'll pray to God when he delivers me. I'll pray to God even if he doesn't deliver me. But I'm keeping that window open. I want everyone to see. I'm going to keep doing what I've always done, steadfast and movable. And he prays before those groups under his window. They can't wait to throw him to the lions, can they? They tell Darius, Darius upset he made such a dumb decision, but he's under law, he's gonna fulfill the law. They throw Daniel in the lion's den, put a stone over it, keep him there overnight. Darius runs early the next morning, calls down, hey Daniel, you down there? Everything okay? Oh, everything's great. Everything's great. No harm, no foul, nothing's going on. Lions aren't very hungry. I'm good. I'm good. And Daniel says, I was saved because God shut the mouth of the lion. You think the devil's trying to devour you in some part of your life right now? You think he's going to eat you alive? 
Do you think God is going to allow him just to absolutely destroy you? Whatever the devil wants to devour in your life, God uses the same power that he used to shut the mouth of a lion. And he'll shut that against you as well. But you've got to believe it. That immovable faith that is there. And that's why as I close, I'm going to look at these two scriptures here back to back. So you might want to write them down again. If God is for you, who can be against you? By this I know, God is on my side. By this I know, God is on my side. Well, I hope this lesson has encouraged you today. I hope it's really encouraged you to see what God is calling you to do and to be. Uh, we, we can have the assurance that when the waves of life are there churning on the surface, that if we'll go deeper in God, that we'll find the calm, the peace, the joy, the strength that we need in that immovable faith. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast and be immovable. In context, he's just talked about Jesus. He says, Jesus died for you. Jesus saved you from your sins. Jesus is coming back for his own people. And when he comes back, he's going to give you an eternal body that's going to be for heaven that you'll get to have. And there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any sting of the power of death. But Christ is coming to bring life, eternal life. Therefore, therefore, be steadfast and immovable. And I want to encourage you today, if you've not yet given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, make him the Lord of your life today. Be baptized in his name. Have your sins washed away. Become part of God's family and let God grow that faith within you. Maybe in your life there's been some things that, that you've realized that you've been moving away. As we're singing this next song, just pray, God, give me an immovable faith. Give it to me. I want your will to be done here in my life like you want it to be done in heaven. Will you do that? We'd love for you to do that as together we stand and as we sing.